This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, before we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 23, we read from God's Word from Romans chapter 5. God's Word is the basis of the instruction we find in our confessions and creeds. Romans 5, we read the chapter, hear the Word of God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, 
much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We turn now to the back of the Psalter to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 23. Lord's Day 23, page 13. Heidelberg Catechism having explained what we believe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dividing the doctrines accordingly about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Catechism now asks the question, but what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? Answer, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, Notwithstanding, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had had nor committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Why sayest thou that thou art just are righteous or justified by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 23 brings us back to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It may seem 
quite like it was quite recently that we considered this truth because we have. In fact, it's only two Lord's Days away in the past. Lord's Day 21, where we considered the same idea or doctrine. You remember on Lord's Day 21, two Lord's Days ago, in question and answer, in the last question and answer, we confessed and we explained the doctrine of the forgiveness of sins, which is synonymous to justification by faith that we consider this morning. Within two Lord's Days, and it's not only in two Lord's Days, but within two Lord's Days, and then in multiple times through the Heidelberg Catechism, the Catechism brings us to focus upon this truth. Because it is a truth that we need to hear again and again, justification or forgiveness is the heart of the Gospel. Profitable for us. Needful for us. Profitable and needful because the devil does not cease to assault, to attack this heart of the Gospel. So precious it is to God and to us, His people, that Satan and many, many different kinds of heresies will attack this truth again and again. It's under constant attack today. The church needs to consider this doctrine to receive a consistent dose of justification by faith alone that she might be kept from errors regarding this truth. More, that she might develop, that you might develop in your understanding of the doctrine of justification or forgiveness. Let us not ever imagine that we have arrived in our understanding of this doctrine. We have always more to grow in every doctrine, even in this one, of justification by faith alone. This doctrine of justification is intensely practical as part of the necessity of considering it. Every day, day by day, we need this doctrine in our minds. We need to be engaged in believing our righteousness or justification before God. Lord's Day 23 makes this doctrine personal and practical, especially by bringing up in question and answer 60, the conscience. That conscience is with you all the time. That conscience, every day you experience within your hearts, within your souls. My conscience, the catechism says, accuse me. Though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God, this is the struggle throughout our lives, every day, on our deathbeds. The conscience will accuse you. And the conscience, when it accuses you, speaks truth regarding your sin. And that is why you need this truth of justification by faith. Because you need to hear not only your conscience, but you need to hear God in His Word declare to you through faith, I forgive you for Jesus' sake alone. It's intensely practical when you suffer a trial, any sickness, your conscience says you do so, you suffer 
because of your sins, even particular sins. And you need to hear God's forgiveness that He even brings this trial then, your tribulations for you. The conscience accuses you when you hear the accusations of others against you. Sometimes true accusations, sometimes false accusations, but your conscience bothers you and you need to go back to this truth of justification. The conscience testifies against you right after you sin and you sin so many times in your life. You need to go back to this truth of justification. When you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you think about all your sins or you wake up in the middle of the night and God pricks your conscience about your sin, you need to go back to this truth of justification. Again and again, you need to go back by faith to this Gospel. One of the most beautiful expressions of justification is found here in Lord's Day 23. Memorize it. Just as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Say that to yourself. Just as if I I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, more as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. You remember nothing from this sermon. Remember those words. Speak them to yourself. They're beautiful and they're precious to the child of God throughout his life. Before I enter into an explanation of this truth that we find here in Lord's Day 23, let me clarify a couple of points. First, it's important to recognize that this doctrine, justification by faith alone, is the most prominent doctrine regarding our salvation though it is not the only doctrine regarding our salvation. I clarify that because some would limit justification or salvation to justification. They would say that salvation is only justification. No, salvation includes more than justification. It's not limited to justification. It includes, well, faith, regeneration, sanctification, preservation. It includes glorification yet to be. There are many facets of salvation that God gives to His people. And yet at the same time, we say justification is most prominent. Justification is that which we need to hold to especially It is that upon which the entire Gospel rests. We must not limit salvation to justification, but we must make justification prominent in our minds. It is the heart of the Gospel. A second point of clarification. When we consider the doctrine of justification, it's important to distinguish between what is objective and subjective. Those words might sound complicated, but they're quite simple. 
In the first point this morning, we consider justification in the objective sense, what Scripture teaches. That simply means that God has already done justification for His people. Before He even reveals that justification to them, God has accomplished it. It is finished. That's the first point of our sermon this morning. I distinguish that from subjective justification. That is, God declares you personally in your soul that you are righteous. That too is the teaching of Scripture. And that, the Heidelberg Catechism teaches, is by faith and by faith alone. So with that in mind, the distinction between objective and subjective, we approach the Lord's Day, Lord's Day 23, and consider this doctrine under the theme, righteous by faith only. Righteous by faith only. First, the righteousness of Christ. Second, the instrument or by the instrument of faith. And then finally, peace amid the accusations. There's a proper and necessary sense in which justification precedes faith. Objectively, before the believer believes, even before the believer exists in time upon this earth, God has already judged him or her as righteous. We call this justification in the objective sense. We have been justified, that is, we have been justified, first of all, from eternity. Now, that's not the main point of the catechism in Lord's Day 23, but this is the truth of Scripture in many places. God regards us as righteous in His mind. We locate justification in the counsel of God, in the mind of God. We may do that. We should do that. Lord's Day, or Numbers 23, verse 21, I have quoted before. He hath, God hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. That verse shows us that God has always beheld, that is always in his mind, looked upon his elect people as without any sin, as righteous. Justified in a proper sense. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20 is another text which proves that God has in His mind from eternity already seen us as righteous. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. Describing the redemption of Christ, God describes it this way, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who, that is Christ, with His shed blood, verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. There, the Spirit through Peter describes Christ's shedding of blood to cover His people so that they're righteous as being foreordained before the foundations of the world. God has already in eternity seen us in Christ who is our righteousness. Stand in awe of that, beloved. I know you know this doctrine of election. 
But you must connect it to justification and stand in awe of that. It's not the main point of Lord's Day 23, and I'm brief here regarding it. But my justification and yours is as good as done. Even before He created a single thing. Among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, those persons have always looked upon us as righteous. Judged us as such. Always in God's unchangeable mind He has judged me as righteous. What a comfort. And therefore, always in His unchangeable mind He will judge me as righteous. Even on the last day. That will never change. He chose to justify me not because of anything in me, but unconditionally with love. He chose me in Jesus Christ. The canons... Head 1, Article 9 says, Election is the fountain of every saving good. And that includes justification. Election is the fountain from which every saving good comes to us, including justification. Having chosen His people from eternity, God paid for that justification 2,000 years ago when He sent His Son and so when we consider justification in an objective sense in this first point, we must recognize that that has been finished regarding its payment at the cross. That's a clear teaching of Romans 5 that we read in verses 8 and 9. We find justification in Christ's life and especially finished at the cross. Paid for, that is, at the cross. God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Paul there is describing justification by the blood of Christ. That is, purchased by Christ. Based on Christ's work, when He shed His blood, justified by His blood. Just as important as seeing justification in the mind of God from eternity, it is important to see justification done, completed by Jesus Christ already. He acquired it for us. There is no more work that we must do in obedience to His commandments for, his, for our justification. Yes. There is plenty of work that we must do in thankfulness, but not for our justification. That's the point. Because Christ has done it all. And to emphasize this, catechism gets into what we have considered recently, Christ's passive obedience for us as well as His active obedience for us. For our justification. Notice the Catechism describes it this way. Explains those terms that I just mentioned this way. As if I never had had nor committed any sin. So that's the beautiful part of this Lord's Day. 
Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. Catechism takes great care to lay out what is called, in theological terms, first, passive obedience of Christ, and then second, His active obedience. First, His passive obedience refers to His suffering. When I say passive obedience, I don't mean passive in the sense of not doing anything. Passive refers to passion. The passion of Christ. The suffering of Christ through His life. God the Father sent God the Son and He commanded the Son to suffer in the place of His people. And Christ suffered in obedience. That's what the Catechism is referring to when it speaks of perfect satisfaction. The perfect satisfaction of justice. God's justice for our sins. You and I deserve hell. For our sin, we deserve the infinite wrath of God poured out upon us, body and soul. That's the just judgment of God against our sin. But in our place, Jesus came. With our flesh and blood, He came. As our substitute, He came. And He took upon Himself the guilt of all of our sins. All the sins of His people. And then endured with His passion or His suffering the infinite wrath of God. Through His life, as soon as He was conceived, He began to endure that suffering. And then, under the cursed cross, it was poured out in its entirety. He was made sin for us who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. That was true. He had indeed suffered enough. That's what catechism means when it says satisfied. He had suffered enough to earn our righteous standing before God. And God, the Father, raised Jesus from the dead to confirm that truth. It is finished. He has indeed suffered enough. That's why He may rise from the dead. Perfect satisfaction that the catechism refers to points us to the passion or the passive obedience of Christ in our place. As a result, the catechism explains, it's just as if I never had had nor committed any sin. That's how God judges us in Christ. Just as if I never had had. Never even had a sinful nature. Nor committed any sin. Not a single actual sin. A thought, word, or deed. Because Jesus suffered for all of it. But there's more that Christ did through His life. Inseparably connected to His suffering or passion was His active obedience, theologians call it. That which Christ did positively now, 
in obeying all of the commandments of God in our place. That's why in the reading of the law this morning, I asked you to consider especially how Christ obeyed every single commandment that we read, though you and I disobey it. Through His life, He had no other gods before Him. He made no images, not in His mind, and loved the manner of worship in the synagogue, frequenting the house of God to worship God there. He took not God's name in vain. He kept the Sabbath day. He honored authority in His life, even though He Himself was the King. He did not kill. He did not commit adultery. He did not steal. He did not lie. He did not covet a single sin. Through the worst of temptations, he had a heart of perfect love. He prayed perfectly. He witnessed perfectly. He preached perfectly. He had compassion perfectly. And he was bold to confront sin and false doctrine perfectly. All in our place. Look at that word holiness in the catechism. You might think it odd that it's there when it's talking about justification. When you see the word holiness, you might think that's, that's supposed to be sanctification. Yes, it is. But before that, Christ lived a holy life. And holiness, as you know, is separation from sin and dedication to the glory, to the worship of God. That describes Christ's perfect holiness judged as yours, judged as mine. To help us understand this, we can speak of an exchange, a great exchange. A great exchange in the courtroom of God. All of our sins. Every single last speck of spiritual dirt. On Christ. Judged as His. But don't stop there. Then you ignore active obedience of Christ. It's an exchange. Not only this every last speck of sin get placed on Christ, but every bit of His perfect obedience and all of His good works are transferred to our account. Marvel at that, beloved. That's what the catechism means when it says as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. I did everything Christ did. Everything He did, I didn't actually do, but God credits it to me. It's to my credit, children. Every good work that Jesus did is to my credit. And, and He had to suffer for all my sins. That's Romans 5.19 as well. Notice the word obedience there. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, that includes his 
obeying of God's laws and all of His good works, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That we call the great exchange. We can also call double imputation. My sin imputed to Christ. And Christ's perfect holiness, righteousness, and satisfaction imputed to me. To each of His people. To impress you with that even more, I refer you to one passage in John 21.25 regarding Jesus' works, all His good works. John 21.25. Think about this. John says regarding Jesus' works, and there are also many other things which Jesus did. So you can go through the Gospels, go through the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read about all the good works of Jesus Christ. And John says there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, every one, if all the good works of Jesus were written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. The world couldn't contain the books if all of Christ's works were written down. The books. Imagine that. Imagine all those books. And on the title page of every one of those books, your name. Credited to you. You have yet to understand just how righteous you are in the sight of God. Imputation is not infusion. I made that point before. The Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic theology teaches infusion when it speaks of justification. Yes, again, God does infuse into us the power to do good works so that we do. But that's later. That's after justification and sanctification. When we're talking about justification, imputation is the word, not infusion. And that might seem like a close synonym, but the small difference is the difference between Reformed theology and Roman Catholic theology. Roman Catholic theology teaches that God infuses into you good works. And only after you have been infused with good works, then God will declare you righteous. And that theology will still boast of grace. God graciously infuses those good works into you. Even works in you both to will and to do of those good works, but you do them. And then the child of God is forever left in doubt whether he has done enough good works to be righteous before God. 
We're justified, the Belgian Confession, Article 24 says, even before we do good works. God justifies us who are ungodly. Romans 4, verse 5. In the realm of justification, our righteous standing before God, in the realm of justification, our good works are enemies to justification. To have our good works before the judgment seat of God for justification, we are going to be condemned. Because our works cannot stand before His holy law. Or as Paul said, I count them but dung in the realm of justification. Oh, thankful works are good and beautiful and God-glorifying in sanctification. But do not bring them into the realm of justification. That's the point. From eternity, God has judged His people righteous in Christ. 2,000 years ago, Christ has objectively earned that justification. That we say is objective justification. But we must do justice to the concept of subjective justification, which is what Lord's Day 23 also is about. Terms have been thrown around in the last years during a controversy experiencing experience of covenant or experience of justification the assurance of justification the question is regarding subjective justification the question is this how does the elect child of god experience justification Yes, God, in His mind, has already determined that we are righteous in Jesus Christ. But how does it get from God's mind to yours? And not just to your brain, but to your heart, your soul. So that you know and are confident that you yourself are righteous before God. That was Martin Luther's question that he grappled with. That was what the Reformers grappled with. How do I know? How does a child of God know with assurance that I am righteous before God? Not only that the elect are, but that I am. And you should know the answer to that question. By faith alone. By faith alone. The justification that takes place in the consciousness of each elect child of God is by faith alone. It is not reformed. It is not reformed to deny the by faith alone. It is not reformed to ignore the by faith alone. It is not reformed to limit justification 
to the objective sense, and especially not reformed to limit it to eternal justification. That is a characteristic of antinomianism. You must understand what it means that we're justified by faith alone. By faith alone means that God, yes, binds us to Jesus Christ with a bond of faith, that first, engrafts us, as Lord's Day 7 puts it. But the by faith alone refers to believing that through the bond of faith, the Spirit works so that we believe We believe in Jesus Christ. God gives that faith to us like an ear. And not just an ear, but the hearing of the the ear. So that we can hear Him say to our souls, not just the outward ear, but hear Him say to our souls that we are righteous. He gives faith like He gives an eye, not just an eyeball, but an eyeball that sees as a seeing activity that looks to the cross of Jesus Christ and His obedience for us. And through faith, believing, looking, hearing, He declares us in our souls righteous. When I speak of believing, or as I've said before, this activity of faith through which we are justified is emphatically not works. That's back to Roman Catholic theology. God does not even subjectively in our consciousness justify us through works, by works. Practically speaking, if the child of God is looking to his works for his justification, he's doing something that's going to destroy himself. You're not going to be justified there. But through faith, as that faith looks to Christ, as that faith looks to God and his mercy in Jesus Christ, God declares to the soul, you're righteous, I forgive you. This is the teaching of Lord's Day 23. Notice question and answer 60. And as much as I embrace such benefit, the end of question and answer 60, as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart, this experience of justification is by the faith that embraces such a benefit with a believing heart. That which God has already determined unconditionally from eternity, paid for completely by Christ, He applies to our consciousness by the gift of believing. That's Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, not good works, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. To ensure that we understand that properly, Recognize two errors of the Arminians. Here's where we must do polemics against Arminianism. We do so also so that you might recognize that accusations that have come this way 
to accuse us of Arminianism are wrong. We do not believe these two points of Arminianism. When we speak of justification by faith, that is, the activity of believing. First, Arminianism makes faith the basis. Arminianism makes faith the basis. Arminianism has you look to your faith as the reason for justification so that you cling to yourself, to your own faith. It makes justification dependent on faith. Question and answer 61 speaks explicitly against that, that Arminianism. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. Beloved, even the gift of faith that the Spirit works in you, even that believing is tainted with sin. It's weak. You can feel it. You can feel it in this way too. You and I are constantly tempted to look to our good works. Every day we are. That's our pride. If you depended on your faith as the reason or the basis for your justification, then you are condemned as well. Don't lean on your faith. Don't be like that vain man or that vain woman standing in front of the mirror trying to look at his faith himself. How good is my faith? No. Faith doesn't look at itself. Faith doesn't look inside of oneself. Faith turns outward to God and to Jesus Christ for his justification. That's what by faith means, justified by faith. Faith turns outward to a foreign alien righteousness, that which the Catechism describes as the righteousness and holiness of Christ. His finished work as mine. Second error of Arminianism that we must be aware of, not only that faith becomes the basis or the ground for righteousness before God, but Arminianism also teaches that the faith that looks to Christ is something that we do by our own free will. Trick with, with a trickiness, Arminian will explain, as Canons 3, 4, Article 14 says, that God works in us the power to believe, but then waits for us to exercise our free will and actually believe. And Canon says, no. No, God works in man both the will and the act of believing also. And by faith, that faith, man is justified before God. That faith which Luther talked about, the Reformers taught, that a Reformed church teaches is not a completely passive or an utterly passive union. It is a believing, a trusting in Jesus Christ alone. But since it is to you that I speak, 
and not to others around who are opposed. I only warn you of that. And I call you this morning. I call you this morning to believe. Not because it is yours to do by your free will, but because I am confident that the Holy Spirit works powerfully in the Word and the preaching of the Gospel, that as the call comes to you to believe, that the Spirit works in you the will and the act of believing also. Trust in Jesus Christ. Lean not upon your good works. Look not to your faith itself. Trust in Jesus Christ and His finished, perfect righteousness. His good works. His perfect suffering. And lean upon Him. Trust in Him. Cling to Him. The Gospel is this. That everyone who believes may be sure, is sure, you will never be condemned before the judgment seat of God. But that God looks upon you just as if you had never committed any sin. And just as if you have fully accomplished all righteousness. All the obedience which Christ accomplished on your behalf. The opposite is true too. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. John 3.18 But he that believeth not, that is, one who refuses to cling to Christ. And here's a test of whether it's a true call of the Gospel, whether the negative is said to. He that believeth not, who claims perhaps that it's Arminian, to speak of believing. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is not only a doctrine to understand, to develop in our understanding, to defend. It's exceedingly practical. You need to hear God justify you in your consciousness, subjectively too, as Satan brings accusations. My conscience, the catechism says, accuses me. I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and still inclined to all evil. Do you hear your conscience? Sin is gross. You've grossly transgressed. That was a really gross thought you just had. The conscience will say. Not just one thought against one commandment, but you've grossly transgressed all. The conscience says all the commandments. You kept none of them. The depravity within you, your soul is such that your nature keeps none of them. That's what the conscience says. 
Even after regeneration, God's law demands perfect love. And none of the commandments you have kept with perfect love, the conscience says. You're still inclined to all evil. Not just some evil, but all kinds of evil. The ones that you say you're grossed out about, that you hear about in the world, you know, your conscience says you're inclined to every single one of those sins. Even if you don't feel it. And what do you do, beloved, when your conscience accuses you? Here's what we want to do. It's the same thing we want to do when any person, when any human being comes up to us and accuses us. We want to put on our boxing gloves and we want to deny it. We want to fight against that conscience. Or take off our boxing gloves and point in a different direction. Go attack him. They're just as guilty. When the conscience accuses you, as it does, the conscience speaks truth. God has built that conscience in you. The conscience is the law speaking to you. When that conscience accuses you, don't deny it. Don't minimize your sin. Don't try to think about all the good you have done, the church membership you have, or the, the doctrines you have been able to precisely hold to. That's just thinking about good works. Agree with your conscience. And look to Jesus Christ. That's faith. Yes. I have grossly transgressed. Against all the commandments of God. By nature I'm inclined to all evil. Still am. Not kept any of them. But I have Jesus. I have Jesus. This is not theoretical. Every time you pray, the doctrine of justification by faith alone should be in your mind. I can't pray. I'm not allowed to pray unless I'm righteous before God for Jesus' sake. When you begin your prayer, that's the case. When you speak of the forgiveness of sins in your prayer, you're talking about justification. That God would in your subjective consciousness assure you of it by faith alone in Jesus alone. Don't say forgive my sins without thinking about this. Righteous because of Jesus Christ through faith alone. When you come to church and you enter this building and you sit in the pew and you recognize, I don't deserve to be here. You should. Coming into the presence of God, you ought to think, I'm justified, I'm righteous by faith in Christ. When you leave here and you recognize, I didn't pay attention as well as I should have. I didn't sing as sincerely as I should have. I sin even in the presence of God. My works, my best works are tainted with sin. You should go thinking about justification by faith alone in Christ alone. 
After God brings consequences upon you, real consequences for your sin, you ought to think, I'm justified, righteous by faith alone in Christ alone, and now these consequences are not to punish me, but to teach me. When you face sicknesses that aren't connected to a specific sin in life like Job did, you need to remember, I'm righteous by faith alone, and these, consequ- these hardships in my life are not punishment for my sin. When you face the accusations of the enemy or any opponent, even of a brother or a sister, you need to hear in your mind from God justification by faith alone. When you discipline your children, you bring to them the consequences for their sins, you must speak to them justification that is forgiveness by faith alone as they look to Jesus Christ and you with them to Jesus Christ for forgiveness for sin. As you come to your deathbed, beloved, you and I are getting to our deathbed very quickly. God is telling that to us. Where you will face the accuser and your conscience, focus on the precious, passive, and active obedience of Jesus Christ, not in your works. You might not even have energy to think about your works. And when you do on your deathbed, they're not going to look so good. As you think about Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Where all your works will be exposed before the world. Don't cling to any one of them. Only believe on Him who will be your judge. But before being your judge is your righteousness before God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.